Awesome. Well, you have those sheets. You can take some of the notes on them. If you're watching online, there's a link there that you can download the, uh, the sheet to follow along with us as well. We want people to get used to opening this book every single day and opening our, our hearts to what's, what's in it, that it affects our lives in a real way. We want to help people find Christ, just like you saw this morning, uh, the different people that have helped uh, these two find Jesus and find community. It's better doing it together. Uh, and, uh, you know, doing things uh, together is kind of a, a picture of this morning. I will be uh, uh, sharing along with Jackie. I was saying last night, anybody remember like the WWF or WWE, the wrestling, not the World Wildlife? Yeah, World Wrestling. Well, you know, back in the day, my favorite match was like the tag team match. And so that's, uh, that's what Jackie and I are going to do today. We're not wrestling. We're going to tag team, <laughs> preach. Um, but you're going to help us. and Because one thing we desire as a church above all is that you would know the truth for yourself. That you would know the truth for yourself. Not that you would hear you know, some, some advice or some good thoughts here at the front and think, okay, those are kind of nice things. Because the truth is, uh, many of us have heard advice before and then found out later it wasn't that good. It wasn't truth. Think about it. Maybe, you know, if you remember uh, as a kid, you know, gr- grandpa says, if you, if you ever meet a bear and you don't have enough time to run, just run up to it and hug it. Because the truth is bears can't scratch their own stomachs. And I'm like, grandpa, I think you want one less grandchild. That would be bad advice to find out in the moment, No. What about this? You know, the first day of school, somebody had posted this and, and asked uh, one of those talk shows that night, said, send us the worst advice anybody's ever given you. And the one person writes in and says, yeah, I'm, I, I was nervous for my you know, first day going to high school. And so my, my dad said to me, you know, when you get there, just the first day, go in the cafeteria at lunch, find the biggest guy you can find, just go and punch him straight in the face. Nobody will bother you after that. And she said, dad, I can't do that. I'm a teacher. I thought, man, what about the people who are like, hey, just get another credit card. You know, it'll be fun. It's free money, they said. And then later on, you find, wait, I got to pay it back along with a whole bunch of others. And you realize none of it was fun. None of it was true. It's why we need the truth for ourselves is that we, and maybe, I don't know fully about you, but I know for me, they're kind of prone to make these ill-informed or poor decisions. And some of them can have huge consequences. Anybody been there? We won't do a show of hands, but I think around the room, we probably agree that many of us have made ill-informed uh, or poor decisions, and they had bigger consequences than we hoped. It's almost like that that's hardwired in us to make some of these poor decisions. Um, Zach mentioned it briefly last week, and I'm grateful that he was uh, able to share. If you haven't heard the message, you can find it on YouTube. I like that he titled it Missing the Mark, and I was hoping that was true, that you guys did miss me. Uh, we were going to title today's Missing the Zach, but it's just not biblical, so... But we are all about the Bible this morning, and so I want you to grab your Bibles and go to chapter 1, the very first chapter. Everybody can find this one. Turn your pages to Genesis chapter 1. Why do we need the truth for ourselves? Why do we need to know the truth for ourselves? Here's why. Here's why. If you turn to Genesis 1, verse 3, and if you've got a New Living, New King James, uh, any, basically any Bible, maybe other than the Amplified in front of you, I want us all together to read the first three words of Genesis 1, verse 3 together. Can we do that? One, two, three. And God said. And God said. Or then God said. 
So we all heard that. It's the same in every one. Genesis 1, 3. Then God said. Let's do then just because that's the NLT. All right, so now then God said. Just go a few verses later. What's it say, the first three words of Genesis 1, verse 6? Okay, and some of you are really slow. <laughs> Grab a coffee. Genesis 1, verse 9, what does it say? How about verse 11? Playing at home, verse 14? Verse 20? Verse 23? And evening passed. I was just checking. <laughs> How about verse 24? You're just like, yeah, yeah. Do you see it? It's everywhere. Then God said, then God said, verse 26. Verse 29. Oh, man, we're losing you. Some of you are like, I don't want to be tricked. But as you look, do you see it over and over and over? Then God said, then God said, then God said. What do you think the writer of Genesis 1 wanted you to know? That God said something. And if you know how uh, Genesis 1 goes, he talks about all these creation uh, things that happened. God said, let there be light. And what happened every time God said something? It happened. It happened. I know some of you are like, I'm not used to talking back in church. Today, you can. And you, something happened. What God said happened. Everything happened just as he said. So go to Genesis chapter 2. We're going to carry on down to verse 15. The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him. What's another way of saying God warned him? Yeah, then God said. What's another way of saying God warned him? All together. Then God said. What did he say? You may freely eat of the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because if you eat its fruit, you're sure to die. Here's what God said. You eat that fruit, you're going to Die, And here's the lesson, because it's pretty clear what God said. And in every other time, what God said happened. Now let's look at Genesis 3, because here's a lesson for us this morning. Genesis 3, verse 1, it says, The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. And one day he asked the woman, Did God really say, You must not eat of the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? And here's Eve's response right here it's like then God said then God said then God said did God really say and she was like sure she knew but then she was unsure anybody remember that commercial from the 90s sure unsure what were they advertising in sure unsure deodorant Deodorant. yes for those who don't know it's commercials where they'll be like showing a place a stadium somebody scores a goal and everybody's like woo and they're like they're sure and then there's one guy in the crowd who's like unsure doesn't want anybody to see the sweaty pits, right? Sure, unsure. And that's really a picture of Eve. Because it's, it's as uh, Satan asks, did God really say? And she's like, yes, I'm sure, but maybe I'm not sure. Because here's how she responds. She says in verse 2, of course we may eat uh, fruit from the trees in the garden. The woman replied, it's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden we're not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat of it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. And my question is, is that what God really said? Yes, sort of. What part is Eve adding to the story? Yeah, did God say you can't touch it? No, here's Eve. She's like, yeah, this is what God said. And then she adds some stuff to it. She's not certain of what God actually said. You know, Adam was the one who was told to. And uh, it was was told to, to, to Eve. But she's like, you know, this is what God said. And we're not allowed to touch it. But that's not what God said. 
And maybe, you know, as the enemy saying, did God really say that? You know, maybe, well, Adam was with God in the garden. When Adam heard it, he kind of gave you the wrong details. He didn't give you all the context. You know, you weren't there. And uh, die, you're not going to die. You know, that's not what God actually meant. He didn't mean you're going to physically die. He meant you're going to die to your lesser self, and you're going to be much smarter as a result. You're like, that's what happened? Here, read it. Verse 4. He's like, you won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows your eyes are going to be open as soon as you eat it, and you're going to be like God, knowing both good and evil. And the woman was convinced. What does that mean? She's like, oh, okay, this is what it meant. And she saw the tree was beautiful. The fruit looked delicious. She wanted the wisdom it would give her, so she took some of the fruit, and she ate it. And she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. And we all know what happened after that. Everything went terribly for the rest of time. You know what we learned from this lesson is our enemy doesn't have to come up with new strategies. You know why? Because the old ones still work. That same statement, did God really say? Did God really mean? He just uses that all the time, even now. You know, you might hear some charismatic preacher on YouTube and you're like, wow, they sound so like convincing. But have you checked to see if what they're saying is true? Did God really say? Maybe it's me. You're like, that guy, he's like, he's like into it. Like, I believe what he said. Don't. Don't just trust it. We want you to know the truth for yourself. Did God really say? Did God really say? Hey, bud. Carry on. Go quicker. You're about to get caught. You never know what's going to happen at Kingsway. Hope you didn't miss that online. That was sweet. God wants you to know the truth for yourself. He wants you to know the truth for yourself. And how do we do that? Man, it's not like it's some crazy thing. It's actually quite simple if we'll apply ourselves. And Jackie's going to walk us through it. Please give her a warm welcome. Good morning. Raise your hands if you like to lose. Okay, nope. All right, good, good. Everyone wants to be a winner, right? But what are the true characteristics of a winner? That's what we want to try to find out today. We're going to be looking through three different passages from the Bible to find out for ourselves. But anytime we're about to approach the scriptures to learn from God, we want to humble ourselves, and we want to ask him to help us. So on the screen, can I walk with this? It's, this is just a paraphrase from Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 to 10. And so if you want to study today with me and you want to ask God for help, I'd like you to read this prayer with me, okay? Heavenly Father, please fill us with the knowledge of your will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that we will walk in a manner worthy of Jesus Christ and please you in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so now you're going to make sure you're going to have a pen in your hand and you want to be looking at the side of the paper that says running to win at the top. 
And I just want to, I learned this from last night, uh, so this is a little extra tip for us today. We're going to be flipping this paper a few different times. So I just want to draw your attention to the bottom right-hand corner. Do you see where it says page one? Okay, circle that. Flip it over. See on the bottom left-hand side corner, it says page two. Circle that. Right, so that's how I'm going to refer to which side we're going to be on. Just, just just so that we don't get confused because there's a lot of words happening on these papers. Okay, so page one. As I read through the first passage from 1 Corinthians, every time we come across the words run, compete, or box, you can say it aloud with me and also draw a box around that word. All right, we're looking for run, compete, and box. Here we go. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it. It is referencing competing. So you can draw a box around that. To receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. But I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. I'm going to continue in Philippians this time. This time you're looking for the phrase press on and you'll draw a box around it. Not that I have already obtained it or I've already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Okay, page two. Finally, as I read through Hebrews, you're looking for the word run. Draw a box around it. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Just after reading those three passages just one time, what would you say motivates someone to run? Why are they running? What's motivating them to compete and run? You got it, exactly, to win a prize, right? So according to 1 Corinthians, the first passage, what is necessary for me to compete to win the prize? Okay, good. And what, do I, and what, what, what is also necessary for me in running? Speak up. I can't see you either. Okay, good, thanks, Nate. Self-control, good. We have to exercise self-control in all things. What about according to Philippians? 
what's necessary for us to press on. So look at where you, good, thank you, Mona. Forgetting what lies behind. So that's the first thing we need to do, forget what's behind us, and then what are we gonna do? You got it, Mona. Reach forward to what lies ahead, right? And then what about in Hebrews? What is necessary for me to run according to Hebrews? Endurance, Endurance. good. Thanks, Becky. Lay Lay aside the what? Lay aside the weights. Okay, good. What, is it, what does the text call it here? Encumbrance, right? Lay aside the encumbrance. What else? What's the encumbrance? Sin. Okay? We have to lay aside sin. Why? What's it going to do? If, something, if I'm running and something entangles me, holds me back. Awesome. Thanks, Scott. It trips us, right? Trips us up. Okay. So we're going to observe the text again. This time, I'm just going to be reading the, t- the passages on page one. Okay, we're just going to read those first two passages on page one. This time, we're looking for the prize. Every time we see the word prize or a word that references it, you're going to circle it. Uh, just a word of context. In 1 Corinthians, you're going to see the word wreath. It's not the wreath like we hang on the front door of our homes. This wreath is like a crown. At the time, this would be like their Olympic Games that the author is referring to, and they would receive a crown of of greenery, of some kind of branch that would be a crown for them, okay? So we're going to mark wreath like prize. Good. So here we go. Looking for a prize and circling it. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the... Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Not that I have already obtained it, good, or I've already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So according to 1 Corinthians, the top passage, what are the two types of crowns or prizes? Right, perishable and imperishable. But what do those words mean? What would it mean to get a perishable prize? Right, it won't last, right? It'll die, it'll fade away. But what's an imperishable prize? Good, eternal, it lasts forever. And the author wants us to win the imperishable prize, right? That's the prize that we want. So according to the rest of that passage in 1 Corinthians, how should we run in order to get the imperishable prize? Take a look at the text, look through 1 Corinthians, and what instructions are given us to win that imperishable prize? 
with aim, right, Derek? Okay, with aim, not without aim, right? If you're running a race, can you just run in whatever direction you want? No, there's a certain course that you're set on, right? With an end in mind, so you have to run with aim. What about the boxing reference? How do we have to box? With, with discipline, right, Scott? With discipline, it's gonna require? Hitting the target. If I'm just boxing at air, I'm at risk of getting hit myself from the opponent, right? And I'm actually not boxing with purpose if I'm just hitting the air. So to run to win the imperishable prize, we need to run with aim, a specific direction, with purpose, a path that is set before us, with discipline, as Scott mentioned. Okay. According to Philippians, what's the prize? Thanks, Nate. It's the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's the prize. That's the prize for all of us, right? We may each individually be running a specific race, a specific course that looks unique from someone else, but we're all heading toward the same prize. So one final time, we're going to read through Philippians and Hebrews. You've got to turn back to page, page one. This time, or you're already on it. <laughs> on page one, we're going to start with Philippians. And this time, we're looking for every reference to Jesus Christ, all right, including pronouns that refer to him. So we're going to read from Philippians, and then we'll flip over to Hebrews to do that, looking for Christ. And mark it with a cross. Thanks, Mark. Okay, marking it with a cross. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Good. Now Hebrews... Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So according to these verses, what do we need to do if we want to be a true winner? What does Jesus have to do with it, with us being a true winner? Okay, we have to keep our eyes on him. Yep, we have to fix our eyes on him. If we're going to be a true winner, that's what we have to fix our eyes on. Good. What else? We have to run with endurance. Yes. Okay, fixing our eyes on Jesus, we also need to run with endurance. 
And again, just to remember, what do we need to lay aside in order to be able to run with endurance? Sin and every encumbrance that entangles us, right? Does this run sound easy? Does it sound like we can, is it something that we have to participate in? Yes, right? There are some steps that are required on our part. But according to Philippians, it's Jesus who we need to lay hold of to be a true winner, right? He's the one that we have to lay a hold of, and he's the one, once he's, once he's in us, when you've put your faith in Jesus, he's the one that's going to help us to endure. Look at verse 3 in Hebrews. Don't just take my word for it. Let's see what you can see for yourself. According to verse 3 in Hebrews, how can we run without growing weary or losing heart? Consider him. Hmm. So what do we consider about Jesus that's going to help us to not grow weary and lose heart? Look at verse 2. In verse 2, we marked all kinds of words that reference Christ. The first one, he calls himself the author and perfecter of faith. How does considering Jesus as the author and perfecter of faith help us not grow weary and lose heart? What he endured for us. All right. As you consider him as the author and perfecter, it makes Scott consider what he did for us, right? By going on the cross. Good. He's not done with us, right? He's the author. He's the beginning. He's the perfecter. He's the one who's changing us, growing us up, helping us run the race. He's not finished with us yet. Okay? The next phrase, it says he endured the cross. We are, um, Scott mentioned that. How, might, how else might considering Jesus enduring the cross, would that encourage you in, in any other ways that have not yet been shared? When you think about Jesus enduring the cross, how would that help us not to grow weary and lose heart on our own race? Wouldn't want it to be for nothing. Okay. So, so, so it gives you that sense of purpose, Chris? Is that what you mean? Okay. It's not for nothing. It's just not some random, meaningless, purposeless race. There's a reason for it. He's our perfect example. He's our example. Exactly, Mona. As we, as we consider Jesus and what he endured, he knows it's hard. It is a hard race. But Jesus endured. Right? He did it. And we can too with him. And then lastly, what's the last thing we learn about Jesus in verse 2? After he endured the cross, despising the shame, then what did Jesus do? You got it. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. How does considering that Jesus is right now sitting at the right hand of the throne of God encourage us not to grow weary and lose heart while we run this race? The, the, the race has been won already? The- Bingo, Reuben. Yes, the race has already been. He's won it. <laughs> He's won the race. I'm laughing because I just saw Reuben get a high five for his answer. <laughs> All right, he's already won. He's sitting down. It's finished. He said that when he was on the cross, right? It's done, right? So as we consider that, as we consider where Jesus is, remember again, what was the prize? Nate said it. The, um, it, was in, it was in Philippians. What was the prize? Yep, eternal life. 
Thanks, Mandy. The upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's where he is. That's where we're fixing our eyes on, that upward call, where we're headed, right? This race that we're running here, this is just temporary. We're headed up with him. So then how about you? Each one of us here, a race has been set before us with this. So how are you running it? Are you running with your eyes fixed on Jesus toward the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus? If this short study has got you thinking about how you're running, you might be interested in continuing with the Bible study called Living Like You Belong to God. We have some copies here if you are interested. It follows the exact same format that we just did today. You're slowing down, looking at the text, um, focusing on some key words, and asking questions to learn how to interpret and apply it to your life. And so in in closing, I just want to share with you, Jesus Christ laid hold of me, and I surrendered in my early 20s. And for the first year, approximately, I would read the word Every day, I loved it. His word was beautiful to me, and I loved observing it. But then it got hard to interpret some things. Some things were hard to understand. And when I was going to different small groups or Bible studies, um, people were talking about what they knew and what they understood, but it was all their words. I'd, I'd be the exasperating, annoying student that would keep saying, where does God say that? Where does God say that? Can you show me where God says that? I wanted to know what God said. And so, Holy Spirit, in his perfect timing on my race, introduced me to some of these tools. And I just liken them to running shoes. They're just a tool. It's his word where the power and strength lies. And it is Holy Spirit that does teach us. So, just to encourage anyone here today, that if you're, just, if you're finding the Bible dry, or you just don't understand when you're reading, Holy Spirit might just be nudging you to say, there's a tool that to help. There's something that's going to help give you some aim and some direction as you spend time with me. Okay? So I just want to close with that, just to encourage you. They're just tools, and if they can be of any help today, Kingsway wants to help um, subsidize them. So if you're able to give a donation, great. If not, just come up and take one. It's okay. God has provided that for you. Okay? So God bless. Hey, just think about that. Just simply looking at the text and seeing, and I love her question, how are you doing today? Individually, as you sit here today, how are, how are you running? Are you running half-heartedly in your pursuit of God? Especially when it comes to studying the word for yourself. Is your race just con- sort of comprised of, well, I'll go to church on Sunday, I'll kind of listen, but that's, that's the extent. You know, the, the reading the Bible, well, you do it for me. Or is it this pursuit of God? I want to know you. I, I might not understand it all, but, but I'm, I'm digging. I'm going to take advantage of some of these tools. Maybe for you, you're coasting on someone else's faith. You're like, yeah, my parents, you know, they believe and sort of, I'm, I'm, I think I do. I'm kind of here with them. Or maybe you're like, oh, yeah, that preacher, I just listen to him every day. That's my time with studying the word. But simply trusting that what they say is truth. Or are you just pursuing, I've got to know the truth for myself. I'm going to do this. I'm going to dig in. Did you guys see on the side of the, the paper, there's some blue words. There was these words, observe, interpret, apply. That is the, 
That is the inductive method of just simply saying, wherever I open this, I'm going to observe. What does it say? And what does, he, what does he really mean? And that's why we encourage you to do it with others. To read it every day, chat about it with other people, find what he means in the word, and then apply. And that word is also uh, just simply translated obey. What am I going to obey? How am I going to apply my life to this and, and, and obey? And uh, I think about uh, our story that we started with, Eve. What if Eve had had this method and said, you know, I'll observe what God said and then I'll interpret what he means and I'll apply and obey <laughs> what, what he tells me to do. Where would we be? Oh my goodness. Man, life would not be what it is today if she had known. What did Eve do? As we look at her illustration of it, we see that she observed. She knew what God had said. She At least she had heard it. Somebody had told her what God had said. But when it came to interpreting, what did God mean? Oh, well, I'm not sure if that's what he meant. And then she completely failed in disobedience, and here we all are as a result. But before we point the finger at Eve, what's the thing about pointing the finger at someone? Right, they're pointing back at us as well, and we know that we've all been there. Like I said earlier, it's kind of like it's hardwired in us. We've all had those missteps, those mistakes, and, and, and we could say even in our own lives, how different it would have been in my life if I had known the truth for myself. Think about this. That that little temptation is actually a trap. It's not cool. I'm going to regret this someday. That first drink was like, oh, it was fun. I wish I'd known the truth is that it's going to become my master someday. That, oh, I want to be right in my marriage relationship and I'll tell her, I'll tell him. I wish I'd known that I should have been serving her because now I'm alone and I'm not very happy. How many of us wish we'd just known the truth for ourselves in those moments? How different it could be. You know, that just because most people believe something is true doesn't make it true. It's true because he said it's true. And it can kind of feel a little hopeless sometimes. You're like, oh, yeah, I've kind of messed up a bunch of those things back in my past. And maybe, you know, still in that spot. It would be hopeless if it wasn't for two things. And I want to leave you with those today. Number one is this. We said at the beginning, then God said. The thing that gives hope is God didn't stop talking after Adam and Eve messed it all up. We see it in Genesis 3. Put it on the screen here. It says, Then the Lord God said, Then God said to the serpent, the one who had deceived Eve, He says, Because you've done this, you're cursed more than all the animals, domestic and wild. You're going to crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. And I'll cause hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He's going to strike your head, and you'll strike his heel. What does it say? He's like, Then the Lord God said. It was like, all of his authority, he begins to speak to what had just gone wrong. And he says, devil, you're going to eat dust for the rest of your life until I come for you. I'm going to send a savior and he is going to crush your head so hard, you're going to bruise his heel. Man, what was he saying to Adam and Eve? They could hear it. They're like, man, we really screwed up, but there's hope. He's going to come for me. He's going to come for us. He, he's going to save us. Even though there was lifelong consequences for them and all their children, all to us, there was hope. And that's what happened. When God said, that word became the word. Jesus came in the flesh. The word become flesh, as John says. That the truth he spoke that day became the truth in human form. And Jesus said, you will, I love how Andy said it, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Do you know what the truth is? Person. It's Jesus. That you would know him for yourself and man, he would set you free. And we see that Jesus lived that out as the truth. When Satan came in the garden, what did he use? His same tactics. Did God really say that he would you know, rescue you? And Jesus is like, yes, he did. Darn right he did. 
This is the truth. There's, get behind me, Satan. You bet he did. And so God wasn't finished talking, and he's not done talking yet. Jesus told his disciples before he was crucified, he said this in John 16, last verse today. He's like, there's so much more I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now. But when the spirit of truth comes, he's going to guide you into truth. How? He's not speaking on his own, but he's going to tell you what he's heard. He will tell you about the future. He's going to bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. He wants you to hear his voice. He needs to read his word today. He wants you to hear and be like, ah, oh, I get it, Lord. I know, what, I know what you're saying. I know what you want for me to do. And then the next step is, what am I going to do with it? Will I obey? Michelle, when we were chatting, she's like, I just feel like he's telling me I need to get baptized. And man, just super excited to see, yeah, we're just going to obey. Maybe that's where you're at. You feel it every time you see the tank. You're like, oh, I know I need to get baptized. But I want to know the rest of the journey. I promise you, he doesn't give you all the steps. He'll give you the next one. And maybe you just have to say, yeah, that's me. I just, I, I admit, I need to surrender. I need to do the same thing. I, I just got to get baptized. And maybe you're like, well, I've only been a Christian for like a month. It doesn't matter how long. Take those steps of obedience sooner than later. Maybe for you, it's like, yeah, I just don't read this enough. Man, go home today and be like, I'm not going to start tomorrow. I'm going to do it for myself today. Maybe you're like, man, I, I really need to do this with other people. Come grab a book. Talk to Jackie. Join a study. Take whatever step. But listen for his voice. What is he calling you to do? Why do we care so much? Because I know the enemy is going to come your way as he does in culture. Did God really say that there's only one man, like man and woman? Did God really say that marriage is, you know, one man, one woman? Did God really say that, you know, men are all born evil? Men are born good. Like, it's coming at you all of the time. Did God really say? My hope is they'd be like, heck yes, he did. <laughs> then God said, then God said, then God said, and I know it to be true. I don't see it in your eyes yet, but oh man, man, I hope. I hope that as his word brings, uh, comes alive in you, can't help it. You just know, I know the truth. It set me free, and I'll live my life based on it. Can we pray? Father, thank you for your word. I mean that. Thank you for the word became flesh that came and gave his life for me. As we celebrate baptism today and what you did in their lives, I'm just reminded of what you've done in mine, and I'm thankful, grateful. This journey that you have us on, you keep leading us every step walking with us by your word, by your truth. Holy Spirit, I pray that people would recognize your voice in their hearts today and hear you tugging, drawing, leading, inviting. Lord, I pray for courage to simply be obedient to your truth and whatever that may be. We know it's for our good because you're good. Lord, thanks for what you've done in Jackie's life and for the gift that she's been to our church and just helping others to find the truth in your word. Lord, I pray that that blessing would extend to others and that others would extend that blessing to others, that we truly would make disciples as you've called us to. Jesus, thanks for not giving up on us. I know you're not done with us yet. I'm grateful because we're not done yet. Lord, thank you. Thank you for speaking to each and every heart this morning. May you receive the full value of what you paid for on that cross our whole lives, forever. Lord, may you be glorified the rest of this day as you've been in this place this morning. We pray this in the wonderful, mighty, powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.